Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 129 of the GDPR Weekly Show. Coming up in this week's episode, we look at the results of a survey carried out by Threadit into data breach potential from home working. Staying on the home working theme, we then have a look at how you can govern the monitoring of what your employees are doing when they're working at home during the Top ID19 pandemic lockdown and stay within the remits of GDPR and indeed human rights. We then have a look at what staff training you might want to provide to your employees if you're in a care environment. So if you're in a hospital or a nursing home or a similar care environment, what training you might want to prioritise for your staff at this time. And we then learn of a double blow to thousands of Australians who are looking to return to Australia from the UK. We then look at the implementation of UK GDPR and which of your policies relating to GDPR you need to be given priority to as you look to adapt your policies from EU GDPR to UK GDPR. We then have an update on data protection policies worldwide. And we then learn of a data breach at Mensa, which has caused two of its directors to resign from the board. We then have an update on the Citrix data breach, where damages settlement with employees has now been reached in the courts in the US. And we then move to Norway, where Grindr has been fined 9.6 million euros for various breaches of GDPR. We then have news of a new data breach checker released by CyberNews. And we then have a useful update from the ICO setting out its view on requests for documents from the US SEC. We then travel to the US to look at what New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has put forward for his priorities on data security for 2021. And then we finish this week with a comparison between GDPR and the PDPA, which has been introduced in Malaya. So as always, a wide-ranging scope of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please email it to feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Stay in. Stay safe. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that several times we've mentioned the risks of people working at home and the danger that that leads to an increase in the potential for a data breach. Well, this week, the results of a survey by Yorkshire-based document destruction company, GoThread, have found that 66% of employees working from home are potentially putting their employers at risk of action due to a data breach. Why? because of printing documents out at home. Now, in some cases, the actual printing of the document may not be an issue, but where it's stored in the home most certainly is, and also how that document is disposed of at the end of its useful life. The study by Joe Thread found that on average, workers working from home were printing five documents every week. That means that since the government first advised against all unnecessary social contact on the 16th of March 2020, home workers have potentially printed an average of 220 confidential documents to date. So just multiply that by the number of employees in your organisation and perhaps you see the scale of the problem. 
So just what is it that people are printing? Well, the survey found that 42% of people working from home were printing out meeting notes and agendas. 32% were printing out internal documents, including procedure manuals. 30% were printing out contracts and commercial documents. 27% were printing out receipts and expense forms. And 24% were printing out industry-related copy. But perhaps shockingly, 20% of home workers say they've printed confidential employee information, including payroll addresses, medical information, and 13% have even printed CVs or job application forms. Printing this type of information is very high-risk activity, and any documentation which includes these details needs to be handled and most importantly disposed of correctly. And just a heads up here, if you are printing out CVs, maybe because you're carrying out remote interviews of people, make sure when you finish with those CVs you're shredding them, and you're not just leaving them laying on your desk or table, where a family member can come along and just read them after you've finished with them. So, which are the worst offending professions? Well, perhaps embarrassingly for the sector, the law sector is amongst the worst performing professions, with 80% of home workers in the law profession saying they've printed documents, 83% in doing charity and voluntary work, and that might also include local town and parish councils, 82% working in environment and agriculture and law enforcement and security, 80% working in sales, and 78% of people working in property. If we look across those professions... For the legal profession, they're most likely to be printing contracts and commercial documents and meeting notes and agendas. For the charity, voluntary work and local council sector, they're most likely to be printing meeting notes and agendas. The same is true for environment and agriculture. For law enforcement and security, they're most likely printing confidential employee information, i.e. payroll and addresses, or medical information. Sales are printing industry-related copy, for example, press releases or brochure copy, and property professionals are printing internal documents, including procedure manuals, and also home and address details of clients interested in either purchasing or selling a property. But perhaps for us, the highlight figure that we take out of this survey, and many thanks to Joe Thread for doing the survey, are that 12% of those polled said they had absolutely no knowledge of GDPR. Not just GDPR working at home, but GDPR. And 9% saying their employer has not reinforced rules around GDPR and sensitive information, while they've been working at home. So if you're in that situation, and obviously millions of companies across the country are, and you have your staff working at home, do make sure you've reminded them of the GDPR implications of having the documents at home and what they should be doing with the documents when they finish with them. Now that means either providing them with a cross-cut threader or engaging a company like GoThreads to do the threading for you. So just to finish, the survey does also highlight the most common cities where people are are printing from home and top of the list is Liverpool at 80%. Just below them is Glasgow and Belfast based on 79%. Then comes Manchester 78%, Birmingham at 72% and Newcastle at 71%. The lockdown looks like it's going to continue for some time so we will come back to these issues of working from home regularly here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Anyone can spread coronavirus. Stay at home Protect the NHS, save lives. We've had a number of calls to our help desk this week about employees working from home and how much as an employer you can actually monitor them. Well, when you're considering monitoring your employees working remotely from home, there are a number of things in relation to GDPR which you need to consider. The first is the lawfulness of processing, because all processing needs to have a lawful basis under GDPR. And when it comes to monitoring employees... 
there's really only one option you can use, and that's legitimate interest. Because remember, you can't normally use consent as a valid reason in the employee-employer relationship, because consent has to be freely given. Now, to establish whether you have a legitimate interest, you really need to carry out a legitimate interest assessment. And if you need any help carrying out a legitimate interest assessment, or LIA, then please just contact our help desk using the details which are coming up at the end of this article. You also really should be carrying out a data protection impact assessment for your employees working at home, and indeed the use of employee monitoring technology in itself will often trigger the need to conduct a data protection impact assessment, or DPIA, and even if it doesn't, it would still be prudent to carry out a DPIA before rolling out any new monitoring technology to mitigate the privacy risks associated with that technology. And again, if you need help with your DPIA, just contact the help desk on the details coming up at the end of this article. You also need to think about transparency. If you're planning on implementing a new monitoring technology, your employees should be made aware of it. So you can't just put it in place secretly, you must let them know you're going to do it. And the relevant details will need to be added to your staff privacy notice. However, just simply updating your staff privacy notice isn't really enough. You must make a specific effort to notify your employees of what you're planning to do in terms of monitoring them so that nothing for them comes as a surprise. You also need to look at purpose limitation and data minimization. Data minimization is one of the GDPR's overarching principles. Be very careful that as the scheme progresses, the monitoring technologies don't become scope creep, i.e. you get to monitor more and more of what the employee is doing, because breaches of GDPR's principles of minimisation are serious and can result in heavy sanctions. And the final thing you need to consider is the employee's right to privacy. The employees in the UK have a right to privacy under the Human Rights Act 1998. Although there are limitations to this, particularly in the work context, it's likely that individuals' right to privacy will be greater when they're working from home than it would be if they're working in your office or your factory. Employers which are considering acting on information they've obtained from the use of monitoring technologies will need to weigh up the risk of employees claiming violation of their human rights in the event that you take any action. So we're most definitely not saying you can't monitor your employees, but just make sure you do it the right way. Make sure that you carry out the impact assessments. Make sure that your employees know what's coming. And really make clear to your employees how you intend to use the data that the monitoring makes available to you. So details of the helpline are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. We have had contact this week from a number of healthcare organisations asking what particular GDPR training they should be giving to their staff during the current COVID-19 pandemic. And our advice has been to train the staff on the consequences of a data breach, including the effects on patients and what it will mean for you as a business or if you're in the NHS, what it will mean for your hospital or unit's reputation. Make sure you train them how to handle patient data, both virtually and when they're out and about, if they're going out into the community to deliver vaccinations, for example. How and why it's important to set up secure passwords across the board. Remind them of the need to use BCC rather than just plain CC when sending emails so that emails don't inadvertently get copied to the wrong person or more importantly that email addresses don't get revealed to the wrong person. And make sure that your employees check and double check the content of emails and more importantly where the email is going to before they click the send button. There are also, as we all know, a number of scam emails in circulation whilst COVID-19 is underway 
and so it's worth training your staff in how to recognise suspicious emails and have a procedure in place for what they should do with them. Obviously, make sure that you have a safe place to secure important files and that the staff know where that is and that they are saving their documents there. Make sure that your staff understand the importance of updating apps and particularly sort of malware and antivirus software when prompted. Consider giving some training to your staff on why they shouldn't use their laptops for personal use and have processes in place for if the worst happens and there is a data breach. And as always, if you need help with any of these, just contact us on the contact details, which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Australians stranded in Europe who were hoping to return to Australia on Emirates Airline were dealt a double blow this week when the Australian government acknowledged it had inadvertently revealed sensitive details of all passengers booked on a repatriation flight from London following news that Emirates had suspended all flights from the United Kingdom. The Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade contacted passengers booked on a government-organised repatriation flight scheduled to depart London for Darwin on Saturday, informing them of the data breach, which is at least the fourth such data breach of stranded Australians' information by the Department since August 2020. The email said the full name, gender, date of birth, email address, passport details, i.e. passport number, expiry and issuing country, Australian citizenship status, phone number, current location and flight booking reference of those booked on the flight had been unintentionally copied to one of the department's transfer clients on the 24th of January. The department said it took immediate action to mitigate any impact resulting from the inadvertent sharing of a flight manifest, including an attempt to recall the email within one minute of it being sent, as well as a follow-up email asking the recipient to delete the email from their IT system. The department said the recipient said the email had been deleted by the third party, but did not clarify who the consular client was. The department said it is reviewing its internal procedures to ensure the breach isn't repeated, and said it's investigating whether the disclosure meets the threshold of eligible data breach, as outlined under the Notifiable Data Breach Scheme in Australia. Meanwhile, on Friday, the Australian House Minister, Greg Hunt, said the Australian government remained open to scheduling further repatriation flights after Emirates suspended all flights from the UK from Friday. The suspension followed a British government announcement it was closing its borders to passenger flights from the UAE in an attempt to stop new COVID-19 strains entering the country. If more flights are needed, more will be provided, Hunt said, noting that the government announced 20 extra repatriation flights earlier in January. Of the 39,000 Australians registered with the department as wanting to return from overseas but being unable to do so, 5,800 are currently in the UK. While it was initially feared that fellow UAE-based airline Etihad would follow Emirates' move, a spokesman on Friday told the press that the airline will continue to operate flights in the United Kingdom to Abu Dhabi and onwards from Abu Dhabi to Australia. The Etihad spokesman said flights departing the UK remain unaffected and will operate scheduled but that all Etihad passenger flights to the UK have been suspended until further notice. The suspension will make it complicated for Australians stuck in Europe trying to negotiate their routes home as Dubai has served as a major transit hub to Australian cities. In common with many governments, the Australian government requires all travellers to test negative to COVID-19 within 72 hours of boarding a flight. Another query we've had this week to the help desk is with the... UK GDPR now coming into force rather than just plain old GDPR. Which of your GDPR documents and policies need amending and in what priority? Well, the short answer as to which policies need amending is probably all of them. 
And if you purchased your GDPR policies from us at Insurity originally back in 2018, then we will be issuing updated policies to you and we'll be getting in touch with each of our 140 clients on that individually to discuss how that best affects you and we'll be doing that within the next few weeks. And if you're not yet a client, then please consider joining up by the details that are coming up at the end of this article. So, in terms of priority, the first that needs to be updated absolutely is your privacy policy and most probably the privacy policy which is on your website although bear in mind if you've got employee privacy policies and you should have then those need updating too and we would say the second most important is to update your data security breach response plans particularly if you have clients or you gather information on citizens who live in the eu i.e outside of the uk but in the rest of europe because there are requirements now for an EU agent, which we've discussed on the last couple of episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, so please check back to those if you've not listened to them. But your data breach procedure will need updating to say what to do if you have a data breach, so that you make sure that both the UK ICO and the Data Protection Authority in Europe is notified when you have a data breach. And again, we are well versed in that here at the GPL Weekly Show in Surety. So please do reach out to us using the contact details that are coming up. And then probably the third thing that needs changing is revisiting your record of processing activities, which would have been put together under Article 30 of GDPR. Each record of processing activities, whether drafted pursuant to UK GDPR or EU GDPR, must detail any transfers of personal data to third countries, a term that would encompass different jurisdictions in each case. That in itself would probably prompt the need to redo a data protection impact assessment. So, as you can see, it's quite an involved process to bring your documents and procedures up to date. We aim to do everything we can to help you do that. And if you have any queries at all, please do reach out to us. We will cover some of the other updates that you need to do in upcoming episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. As it is the start of the new year, we thought it was worth having a quick look at just what has changed worldwide in terms of data protection during 2020 and into 2021. So here in the UK, obviously the biggest change has been that we are now totally separated away from Europe. And we've discussed in previous episodes of the GDPR, we just show the impact that's having on international data transfers. And if that interests you, then please go back and listen to those previous episodes. It's also, of course, brought in the whole concept of UK GDPR as opposed to GDPR or EU GDPR. It's brought about the whole need to have an EU agent if you have clients in the EU or you are processing data on citizens who are based in the EU. And later in 2021, on the 2nd of September, the 12-month transition period for organisations to comply with the ICO's age-appropriate design code comes to an end. It really is important for organisations to start considering now whether the code applies to them and if so, how they will comply with the 15 standards of the code. The code applies to online services likely to be accessed or used by a child, which for these purposes is anyone under the age of 18. It's also obvious as we go into 2021 that the ICO here in the UK will continue to be very active in terms of pursuing people who are in breach of GDPR regulations. So if we cross over into Europe, perhaps the most important country is Belgium. The Belgian Data Protection Authority has been very active in 2020 
It's published quite a lot of guidance and recommendations. It's carried out investigations and imposed sanctions for scenes such as reprimands, warnings and fines on individuals or organisations whose processing activities are not in line with GDPR. It's issued opinions on draft bills relating to the processing of personal data in particular in the contents of COVID-19. It's entered into a protocol cooperation agreement with DNS Belgium to block .be domain names and it's adopted its 2021 management plan, translating the strategic and operational objectives of its 2020 to 2025 strategic plan into concrete objectives for the years to come. In common with a lot of data protection authorities across Europe, the Belgian Data Protection Authority is also making a plea for more resource from the Belgian government to cope with its increased workload. In terms of enforcement, the litigation chamber of the Belgian Data Protection Authority has imposed a number of sanctions on data controllers for violation of GDPR in 2020, and these sanctions have tended to become more significant the longer the years gone on. The three strategic topics that have been chosen by the DPA for particular attention this year in Belgium are online data, sensitive data, and images from CCTV. Moving to France, the Data Protection Authority, CNIL, has become something of a reputation for itself for issuing strong penalties. In December 2020, the CNIL issued fines of 35 million euros, 60 million euros and 40 million euros to different organisations in relation to placing cookies on users' computers without their consent. The CNIL also imposed two fines, one of 2,250,000 euros and one of 800,000 euros for violation of GDPR. Most commonly in France, CNIL has found that breaches have been relevant to Articles 12, 13, 15 and 17 of GDPR. The Health Data Hub, a new platform designed to ultimately host all health data of people who receive medical care in France, was debated in France during the second half of 2020. In October 2020, while the CNIL had some concerns over data transfers under the French Health Data Hub, due to the recent ruling of the CJU in the SREMS 2 case, which again you can refer back to previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show to find out more, the French Council of State did not call for its suspension. The importance of the Health Data Hub, particularly in managing the COVID-19 health crisis, has been taken into account to include that this risk does not justify the immediate termination of the platform. However, the French Council of State required the Health Data Hub to seek additional safeguards to better protect the data that it holds. The judge called on CNIL to ensure that any use of the platform is necessary. CNIL said it will take this role on while working with public authorities on longer-term solutions. Germany has also seen a number of sanctions imposed on organisations within the country with GDPR breaches during 2020. The State Commissioner for Data Protection in Lower Saxony imposed a 10.4 million euro fine in January 2021 against an electronic retailer for unlawful video surveillance activities of its employees at work desks, in sales rooms, warehouses and in recreation rooms. The Hamburg Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information imposed a 35.5 million euro fine in November 2020 on a global fashion company, H&M, for violations of GDPR. The Federal State Data Protection Commission imposed a 9.5 million euro fine in December 2019 against Telecom's company for insufficient authentication procedures in the customer call centre before disclosing customer data by customer service personnel to callers. The State Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information of Baden-Württemberg imposed a 1.2 million euro fine for in, in June 2020 against an insurance organisation for using personal data of lottery participants for advertising purposes without their consent. And the Berlin Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information imposed a 14.5 million euro fine in October 2019 against a real estate company for violating data retention requirements. In Italy, the Italian Data Protection Authority, the Durante, has adopted a slogan of between continuity and innovation. 
Durante has put significant efforts into training and information initiatives aimed at raising awareness of early protection rights among individuals and providing guidance to data controllers, both in the public and private sector. One such initiative was the launch of a data breach self-assessment tool for controllers to determine the need to notify a breach to Durante. In the fight against COVID-19, the Durante has been closely monitoring the use of the Italian app Immuni and has also approved the setup of a dedicated call centre. In terms of enforcement, Durante has issued a high number of fines and investigations. The main areas of its audits have been in relation to marketing and profiling, the electronic health sector, banking and insurance, the Internet of Things and the HR sector. Moving on then to Spain, as we've reported a number of times in the GDPR weekly show in 2020, there's been a significant increase in the penalties imposed by the Spanish Data Protection Authority, the AEPD, including 5 million euros and 6 million euros against two Spanish banks. The Spanish Data Protection Authority even sanctioned a minor infringement with a fine of 2 million euros. The Spanish government is promoting the drafting of a Charter of Digital Rights with the aim of becoming a reference code of ethics. The public consultation process for this charter ended in January 2020. Current Spanish data protection legislation already contains a declaration for the extension of constitutional rights and freedoms to the internet. The law goes beyond the provisions of GDPR and lists eight fundamental digital rights, digital security, digital education, special protection of minors on the internet, data protection rights on the internet and digital will, three digital labour rights, privacy and use of digital devices in the workplace, privacy against the use of monitoring, video surveillance and geolocation systems in the workplace, and protection of personal data and collective bargaining, two mandates for public authorities in the form of digital rights, net neutrality and universal access to the internet, and a demand for diligence and transparency requiring the Spanish government to submit an annual report on the evolution of the rights, guarantees and mandates referred to by the legislation. If we travel now to Scandinavia and Sweden, the Swedish Authority for Privacy Protection, EIMY, has stated that five of its most important and fundamental areas of focus for 2021 are complaints, personal data breaches, response to queries, supervision and guidance to data protection officers. IMY has also stated that it will increase its supervisory activity. Moving then out of Europe, if we go first to China, October 2020 saw the publication of the draft Personal Information Protection Law. The law includes GDPR-like penalties on violations. For instance, it's proposed that a fine of up to 7.4 million US dollars or up to 5% of annual revenue be imposed for serious violations. The draft law is expected to come into force from 2022. So if you do any business with China, it will be important to review your procedures for dealing with China before that date. We've mentioned before on the GDPR Weekly Show that on the 12th of June 2020, Japan enacted the law in amending the Act on the, on the Protection of Personal Information, the APPI, which has many characteristics in common with GDPR. And in November 2020 in Singapore, major amendments to the Personal Data Protection Act, the PDPA, were passed in Parliament. These amendments mark the first review of PDPA since its enactment in 2012. The new law provides for increased financial penalties of up to 10% of an organisation's annual gross turnover in Singapore for breaches of PDPA. In New Zealand, the New Zealand Privacy Act 2020 came into force on the 1st of December 2020. The new law strengthens existing privacy protections and imposes greater obligations on organisations and businesses that handle personal information. The Act has extraterritorial effect on businesses and organisations which are carry on business in New Zealand, even where they don't have a physical presence in the country. The Act also introduces new criminal offences and gives the Privacy Commissioner the power to issue compliance notices to businesses or organisations requiring them to comply with the Act. 
and finally to Brazil, where Brazil's General Data Protection Law, LGPD, came into force in September 2020, allowing consumer protection authorities to enforce the law in connection with consumer relationships as well as judicial claims under the law. The Brazilian Data Protection Authority, the AMPD, has been created but may only apply administrative penalties as of the 1st of July 2021. LGPD is the first comprehensive data protection law in Brazil and brings about significant cultural changes. It follows most of the concepts of GDPR and the law also sets forth different penalties that may be applied by the AMPD from the 1st of July 2021, including a fine of up to 2% of the group's net revenues in Brazil in the preceding year. So we hope that Worldwide Tour has given you a good update on what's happening around the world and to see that more and more countries are coming into line with GDPR. Two board members at British Mensa have quit after accusing the Society for People with High IQs of substandard cybersecurity practices that could expose the personal data of thousands of its members. Eugene Hopkinson, the director of British Mentor since 2018, announced his decision to stand in on Monday by publishing an open letter explaining his reasons for quitting the board of the organisation that has grown to include 18,000 UK members since it launched 75 years ago. Mr Hopkinson, who until recently was the board's technology officer, said he had battled to convince Mentor's leadership team to tackle data security issues surrounding member passwords since 2018. His biggest concern was that member passwords were not hashed or scrambled, making them potentially identifiable to hackers. It's understood that Mensa holds a lot of sensitive information, including the IQ stores of members and failed applicants, instant messaging conversations on its website, payment card numbers from the online shop, as well as passwords, email details and home addresses. If a breach is found to have taken place, I have no faith that the board and the office will report it adequately or take sufficient mitigating action to prevent further harm, Mr Hopkinson said. Mr Hopkinson's partner and fellow British Mensa director Emily Schaeffler announced her intention to quit the board on Thursday, citing similar reasons in an open letter. I have no confidence that the Mental Administration will investigate this breach thoroughly, that it will learn any its lessons from its experience, or that it will improve the negligent treatment of member data, she said in her letter. She went on to say, Most of all, I have no confidence that the board will communicate truthfully with members about any of this, or any other risk to member well-being. I find my position on the board untenable. In a statement, Mensa said it was undertaking an investigation into the cyber attack which involved considerable resources. A spokesperson said there's been a series of events which appear to be designed to discredit Mensa's systems. As a result, we've handed details of these events to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, with a view to pursuing a criminal investigation. The spokesperson said that member passwords were encrypted, they were never sent out or stored as plain text, that additional work on hashing passwords had been completed, and that additional security measures have been put in place as a precautionary measure. These resignations have sent shockwaves through Mensa's online forums. It's understood that as many as 92 Mensa members are supporting the call for an extraordinary general meeting. If we get any update on this, either from Mensa or from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time. To America now, and Citrix employees impacted by data breach resulted in the theft of their data secured a settlement with the company in the sum of 2.275 million US dollars. The settlement, first agreed in June 2020, has now met with the approval of Judge Ron Altman. This week, the judge issued preliminary approval of the settlement, figuring the US District Court of the Southern District of Florida. 
The class action lawsuit involving roughly 24,300 members will be settled in return for Citrix providing a 2.275 million fund usable for credit monitoring services, ID theft recovery and up to $15,000 in reimbursement for expenses and loss per claimant. Citrix first disclosed the data breach back in March 2019 after being alerted by the FBI of a possible network intrusion. Cyber attackers had infiltrated Citrix's internal service for a period of roughly five months between 2018 and 2019. Citrix employees were embroiled in the security incident in a letter sent to those thought to be impacted. Citrix said their personal data may have been stolen. The data stolen included personally identifiable information, social security numbers, passport numbers, limited health insurance data, driver's license numbers and financial account information such as payment card numbers. A hearing over Zoom has been set for June the 10th, 2021, for the settlement to be finalised. If there's any update from this from Citrix later in the year, we will of course bring it to you here on the GDPR Weekly Show. We last mentioned Grinder here on the GDPR Weekly Show way back in episode 75. But this week, the Norwegian Data Protection Authority has issued the LGBTQ plus dating app an advance notification of an £8.5 million fine, or 10% of its turnover, as per GDPR, over its alleged collection and sharing of sensitive user data with third-party advertisers without the user's consent. The fine came about as a result of a legal complaint filed last year by the Norwegian Consumer Council, highlighting how advertising technology companies receive personal data about the interests, habits and behaviour of their users for use in targeted advertising, which can also potentially lead to discrimination, manipulation and exploitation. Such concerns are amplified when it comes to Grindr, a social networking app that over the years has supplanted traditional cruising for gay men by taking casual sex encounters and making them much easier. Because many of its users live in jurisdictions where LGBTQ plus people can be legally discriminated against, making a data leak that would be merely embarrassing to a citizen of a more liberal country potentially devastating to a user in institutionally homophobic countries such as Russia and the United Arab Emirates. The data collected by Grindr included chat text, potentially explicit images, email addresses, display names, physical characteristics such as height, weight and ethnicity, HIV status, details of sexual preferences, location and device data, and linked social media data. Bjorn Eric Thon, the Director General, said, The Norwegian Data Protection Authority considers that this is a serious case. Users were not able to exercise real and effective control over the sharing of their data. Business models where users are pressured into giving consent and where they are not properly informed about what they're consenting to are not compliant with the law. In its findings, the regulator said it had concluded Grindr needed consent to share such personal data with advertisers and they had not obtained valid consent to do so, particularly with regard to special category data on sexual orientation, which makes particular protection under GDPR. Grindr was seen as a safe place and many users wished to be discreet. Nonetheless, their data has been shared with an unknown number of third parties and any information regarding this was hidden away, Thon added in a statement. He went on to say, We have notified Grindr that we intend to pay impose a fine of a high magnitude, as our findings suggest grave violations of GDPR. Grindr has 13.7 million active users, of which thousands reside in Norway. Our view is that these people have had their personal data shared unlawfully, and the important objective of GDPR is precisely to prevent, take it or leave it consent. It is imperative that such practices cease. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you will, of course, remember that we've several times mentioned about the investigations of behavioural targeting by advertisers and contextual advertising, both here in the UK by the ICO and by regulators overseas. 
and indeed the ICO here in the UK resumed its investigations early in January after a lengthy break. Stay in. Stay safe. It's always useful to have some tools in your toolkit for detecting whether you've been the subject of a data breach. And this week, cybernews.com has released a new data leak checker. If you go to cybernews.com slash personal hyphen data hyphen leak hyphen check, it will bring up the checker and all you simply have to do is enter your email address and it will go away and find whether your email address has been mentioned in any leaked data and then tells you some useful steps of what to do to protect your email address if it has been subject to such a data breach. And when we checked the tool this week, it had checked 2,563,218,607 unique emails and found 15,212,645,925 breached accounts. The tool is very simple to use and very fast to operate, so if you want to check whether your email has been involved in a data breach, we would suggest you head over now to cybernews.com forward slash personal hyphen data hyphen leak hyphen check. The ICO this week clarified how UK firms may respond to document and record requests from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. The SEC is able to make requests to UK firms, including UK branches of non-UK firms, to provide books and records and other documents of SEC-regulated entities, such as investment advisors and broker dealers, as well as companies within US securities that maintain a UK presence. The requested records can often contain personal data subject to the UK GDPR. In response to a request from the SEC, the ICO has published its letter to the SEC setting out the ICO's views on regulating relevant transfers of personal data, which will assist firms to understand how they can comply with both their SEC obligations and remain within the requirements of UK GDPR. A UK firm is likely to be able to provide the requested books and records and other documents containing personal data in, re- in reliance on the public interest derogation in Article 49, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph D of UK GDPR, but firms will still have to consider whether transfer is necessary and proportionate and provide the appropriate disclosures to customers and staff and document their decision-making process. Against this backdrop, the SEC has ended its moratorium on the registration of UK managers and once again permits registration. It's important to realise what the guidance says about adequacy decisions. There has been no adequacy decision which would designate the US as a country which provides adequate protection of personal data and hence this would normally permit transfer of data to the US. This is in contrast to transfers to regulators in EU jurisdictions, for example, as the UK has temporarily deemed in the EU member states Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway and Switzerland to be added for on a transitional basis. This lasts until the 1st of May 2021 and may be extended to the 1st of July 2021 if both parties agree. The second is that there are no appropriate safeguards in place between UK firms as exporters of personal data and the SEC as the importer of the data within the meaning of Article 46 of UK GDPR, which would permit such transfers. The ICO noted that it would expect UK firms and the SEC to work together to put in place adequate safeguards as a long-term solution. However, the ICO expressly referred to SREMS 2, the judgment of the Court of Justice of the EU dated July 2020, which significantly impacted the validity and availability of some such safeguards, including standard contractual clauses and binding corporate rules. If you want to know more about SREMS 2, then refer back to episodes 
100, 104 and 125 of the GDPR weekly show. The ICO's analysis also states that UK firms should generally be able to rely on the derogation in Article 49, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph D of UK GDPR, which allows transfers that are necessary for important reasons of public interest. The ICO considers that in complying with the SEC document requests would be considered within the public interest of the UK and justified this determination by reference to the following factors. The UK is a signatory to the Financial Stability Board, FSB, which has adopted the International Organisation of Securities Commission's IOSCO objectives and principles of securities regulation. The ICO determined that these objectives and principles were consistent within the SEC and the UK Financial Conduct Authority's FCA rules and regulations surrounding examination. Compliance with the SEC rules by UK firms A. helps to prevent UK financial crime and B. helps to prevent actions in the US which would amount to crimes in the UK if performed in the UK. Principle 11 of the FCA's principle for business requires the UK firm to deal with its regulators in an open and cooperative way, which includes non-UK regulators. So if you're a firm in that sector and you receive a request for documents from the SEC, which include or may include personal data within the definition of UK GDPR, it should consider the following questions and document your determination as to each in order to rely on the public interest derogation under Article 49 Paragraph 1, subparagraph E of UK GDPR. And the questions that you need to ask yourself are that does the SEC's request appear to be proper and within the SEC's lawful authority? In light of the ICO's analysis in its letter to the SEC, does the public interest derogation apply? And given the nature of the personal information which has been requested, is it necessary and proportionate? For that data to be provided, particularly considering if any special categories of data, i.e. health data or criminal records data, has been requested. As well as the data protection considerations, you should also note that UK firms regulated by the FCA or the Potential Regulatory Authority, the PRA, should also consider whether receiving a document or record request from the SEC or any other international regulator might trigger a requirement to make a notification to the FCA or the PRA accordingly. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. To New York State now, and New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, in his recent State of the State address, announced the state's 2021 policy agenda. Included in the governor's agenda are enhanced consumer protections over data privacy, mirroring both the California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, and the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. Governor Cuomo proposes a comprehensive law aimed at enhancing digital privacy. Specifically, the law will provide New York residents with greater transparency and protection over their personal data. Various enforcement mechanisms will ensure accountability for the illegal use of consumer data. Entities will be required to disclose the purpose for which they are detecting consumer information and the use will be restricted solely to those purposes. The proposed legislation is aimed at protecting sensitive information such as health, biometric and location data. Included in the proposed privacy law will be a Consumer Data Privacy Bill of Rights which would grant every resident the right to access, control and erase their collected data and protect against discrimination for exercising those rights. Nearly a dozen consumer privacy-related bills have already been introduced in the 2021-2022 New York session. SB 567 closely resembles the CCPA, but also provides an additional privacy right of action for all violations. 
Assembly Bill A680, the New York Privacy Act, is similar to GDPR and requires consent for all post-assent activities and third-party disclosures without any exception. The New York Privacy Act is identical to the previous It's Your Data Act, SB5642, which was introduced but did not advance out of committee in the 2019-2020 session. It is currently unclear which of the recently introduced privacy bills were advanced this year and how they will relate to the government's proposals. Earlier in this episode, we had a quick review of data protection laws around the globe. And to finish this week, we thought it was worth having a quick comparison between Malaya PDPA and GDPR. So what are the differences? Well, under Malaya PDPA, personal data refers to any information processed in regards to customer business, commercial transactions, through which the customer or data subject is identifiable. Now, while GDPR is very similar in this respect, of course, GDPR is not restricted to just commercial data. If you think particularly of hospitals or schools, for example, they fall under GDPR, but they're not necessarily handling any commercial data. If we turn to the right to be forgotten, under EU GDPR, data subjects can exercise their rights to their businesses to raise their personal information, providing certain specific circumstances are met. With Malayan PDPA, there is no equivalent provision. Under Section 10 of PDPA, businesses can no longer keep their data subjects data for longer than necessary. If we then turn to the right to data portability, under GDPR there is a right to data portability, which means that data subjects have a right to receive their personal data upon request in an easy machine-readable format. There is no such provision in Malayan PDPA. In terms of privacy by design, which is one of the keystones of GDPR, Data controllers must implement technical and organisational measures in order to uphold data protection principles, which include minimal use of personal data and on a need to process basis only. The Malayan PDPA does not have any such provisions within its code. And in terms of data protection officers, DPO, GDPR requires that DPOs have a full knowledge of personal data protection laws and their contact details need to be given to the appropriate data protection supervisory authority and they must have adequate resources at their disposal to fulfill day-to-day duties and maintain their technical knowledge. Under, under PDPA, there is no such requirement for DPOs to have an in-depth understanding of data protection legislation. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.